know, I think Peter from Jamaica, remember him a few months, a couple months ago? Yes. Anybody remember what he said? Something along the lines of God is real. We know that, right? Yeah. And the, um, the example he gave kind of like shook me to my toes. Because, yeah, I know God's real, but is he real? And the other thing we have to, um, so you start thinking about things like that. God's real, actually real. And when you go someplace and you have um, salvation and you have Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit and you God, it goes with you, right? The other thing we remember is that this book is actually a real book. Not just paper, not just ink. It was written by a real God. And he used real people to write down the words for him. So when we read this book, we re we're looking at it as reality. How many of us struggle with that when you get to Revelation? I do. What about Ezekiel? Isaiah? I saw the Lord. You know what they're writing down? They're writing down what they actually saw. They're writing down what they actually heard. These are real people writing real words about real events that happened to them. The presence of the Lord is actually real. You can actually physically feel the presence of the Lord. You truly can. Most, some of us know that, and some of us know it sometimes. Some of us have never really experienced that. So I'll give you a little help. Zach and Savannah are going to find out about this in a few years. So is Erica. But every parent on the planet has had the experience of waking up from a deep, dark, dead sleep to this. Right? The first time it happened to my husband, I think I still have bruises from him trying to get away from it <laughs> and running, running me over. That's presence. That's presence. I mean, if a three-year-old can do that to a grown man out of his sleep, you know that a real God can do that with real people when they're wide awake. Only sometimes we're just sleeping through it, and we don't realize it. Now, the presence of God from Adam and Eve up through Jesus up to now has migrated a little bit. It used to be you could find the presence of God when you went someplace special to worship, like church, right? Moses was intimately acquainted with the presence of God. What did God say about Moses? I talked to him face to face. The presence of God would come down in a cloud to the tabernacle. For 40 years, this happened. And Moses would get up, and he'd go down to the tabernacle, and he'd meet with God. Face to face, they'd talk together. And then when Moses came back to his own personal tent, he had to put a veil on. 
And I'm not talking, you know, one of these little pretty little veils here that show how pretty your eyes are, okay, and let your hair go free. I'm talking about a full-on wedding veil over his face because after he met with God, his face shone so bright that people couldn't even look at him. Bright light! It would fade after a while, and then the cloud would come back, and he'd go down, and he'd meet with the presence of God. And then he'd come back with the veil over his face. And that's how the presence of God worked with Moses. But we also remember that the presence of God worked with Elijah. When Elijah said, the Lord said to me, he's talking about an actual physical voice. I'm going to get my notes out here because I don't want to leave anybody out. When we read that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, we're reading that Jeremiah understood that the word he received came from the Lord. When we read that Joseph was warned in a dream, Joseph was sleeping and God still got through to him. The thing is, you know, Moses got used to the presence of the Lord. It didn't even occur to him that his face was that annoying to people after he finished talking to God. He got used to it, not complacent with it, but comfortable with the presence of the Lord. And after the first couple of times of that happening to me, with the babies at the side of the bed. I got really used to having kids come to the side of the bed. I got to the point where I would actually recognize their presence before they even got up to me. And I'd lay there going, Jesus, make them go back to bed. Jesus, make them go back to bed. Jesus, please go make them go back to bed. And they never did. You know? But the thing is, when you are comfortable and I'm, talking, I'm not talking comfortable in a lazy, complacent kind of a way. When you know the presence of the Lord, it's not such a scary thing. It really is not. And what's really weird is that sometimes when you're wide awake going, around, going about your day, you're not in prayer. You don't have the prayer closet door closed behind you. You're just going around, having your regular day, and all of a sudden you recognize the presence of the Lord. Now, I'm not like Anne. I've never, well, maybe once, heard the actual voice of the Lord. But I recognize his presence because I've been in it. And one of the things, I don't know if Kenny even realized, he remembers that he even said it a few weeks ago. You don't have to come to church and sing to worship the Lord. Worship of the Lord is a one-on-one -on -one thing. I know Dave's back there going, yeah, so, duh. <laughs> so we fast forward a few centuries from Moses. Let's hop over to John. I love John. We're going to chapter 4. I'm glad I wrote the references down because I have so many things underlined here. Chapter 4, Jesus a Jewish man is sitting by a well in the middle of a day, in the middle of summer. 
And in Samaria, in the middle of summer, it's hot. It's dry. And here he is, a Jewish man sitting by the well, and up comes a Samaritan woman. And he starts to strike up this conversation with her. And towards the end of the conversation, she's kind of losing the word battle here. And she says, oh, I see, you're a prophet. Don't worry about it. When the Messiah comes, he'll set us straight. And you know in her mind she's thinking he'll set you straight. Because that's just how it goes, right? They were talking about where you worship. Where do you worship? Samaritans say, you worship here. The Jews say, you worship there. So which one is right? You know what Jesus replied to her? The hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So in other words, where you worship is here. It's not in that place. It's not at CMA. It's not at Foursquare. It's not at the Catholic Church. Where you worship is here in your spirit with the truth of the Lord. That's got to be mind-blowing. Let's jump over to John chapter 9. Blind man, blind from birth. We all know the story, right? Jesus heals him. The guy goes to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees go berserk because this is just a plain old Jewish rabbi. How dare he do something that only God can do? They got their, they got their tassels in a wad. They were not happy. And this blind man, who obviously could never receive a formal education, because he had a disability, starts asking them some of these serious questions. Like, if he's not God, how did he give me back my sight? Because it's never been known from the beginning of time till now that anybody who was ever born blind was healed and could see. How does that happen if he's not God? And the Pharisees gave him that beautiful left foot of fellowship. They excommunicated him. He was no longer part of the Jewish community. He was no longer allowed to even sit outside the synagogue. Jesus heard they'd cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? You know what the man said? He said, who is he so that I can believe in him? He's standing right in front of his face, right? He, I'm sure that he recognized the voice as the voice of the man that healed him. Because blind people, from what I understand, have this crazy ability to be able to recognize voices. Just like musicians have the ability to be able to recognize flats and sharps. Okay? I don't. 
which is why I am not your worship leader. <laughs> I'm sure he recognized the voice. He recognized that this was the man that healed him. And Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of God? Yeah, where is he? This is the man that healed him. Jesus said to him, you're looking at him. You're talking to him. It's me. And you know what the guy did? He believed and he worshipped. Now Jesus was still walking the earth in dusty sandals. He was still walking the earth with Pharisees stalking him every, everywhere he went, second-guessing his every syllable. He hadn't been crucified yet. He hasn't risen from the dead yet. He hasn't gone up to heaven yet. He isn't in heaven yet. And the guy worshipped him. And you know what Jesus did? He led him. Because he knew who he was. He is the Son of God. So we know that worship happens in us. And we know who worship is to. Jesus. It's one of those things that we forget, I think. That the very first thing a believer does, and the, one of the things that a believer or a Christ follower if you will, does the whole entirety of their life is worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And as you worship him, his presence comes upon you, not just in you, but also upon you and in through you. It's what Peter said when he quoted Joel in Acts, the book of Acts, if you go to Acts chapter 2, verse 17, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Because one of the side effects of worshiping God is not being able to stop talking about him. Now we've learned in, in this particular society that we have to be careful where and when we speak God's name. We have to understand that some people are going to be pretty angry with us and we don't want to push their buttons too much because our goal is that these people who are really, really angry with us will come to Christ themselves and come to a believing faith themselves. So we don't want to kick them out of the kingdom before they've even had a chance to see the crack in the door. We use a little finesse. But you can't help it. When you're a Christ follower, you talk about Jesus. And the more you worship him, the more you have his presence with you, the more you have his presence in you, the more comfortable you become with his presence, you just can't help talking about him. So how do you 
get that presence of God. Now I remember Matt, oh, probably a year or so ago, asking, so what about all those people who uh, have never known Jesus, you know, before Jesus came? What about all those people? If you go to Revelation chapter 14, and you go to verse 6. Now keep in mind, this is John talking. He wrote down his experiences. He described what he saw, and he described what he actually heard. This is a real, live, honest-to-goodness happening thing up in heaven. And he says, I saw another angel flying in the middle of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people, every person, saying in a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. That's a description of the God whom we worship. If you are worshiping any other God than that one, you're not worshiping Jehovah. You are not worshiping the Messiah. Keep that in mind. Because, you know, you'll hear people, oh, I'm a really religious person. Yeah, but who are you religious to? I'm religious about brushing my teeth. I'm sure everybody here is very happy about that. I brush my teeth every day. I chew gum when I need to to keep my mouth from being so stinky. It's an awesome thing. It really is. Mint gum is good. That was a rabbit trail, I apologize. Where was I going with that? Being religious, thank you. Thank you. Lots and lots of people are religious, but what religion are you talking about? And the religion that I am talking about is found in, verse five, in chapter 5 of Revelation. Here again, John is explaining and describing an event that actually happened in heaven. By the way, heaven is a real place. Okay? I know that I have heard people say, oh no, it's just... A place of spirits. It's just a place where spirits live. These spirits have bodies, and I know they have bodies because John said he saw them, and he understood who they were and what they were. So we know they have bodies. We know it's a physical place. It's not physical like we see physical here. It's still a physical place where God is. And he said... I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? Anybody in heaven? Anybody? Anybody? Anybody up, up here? Are you worthy? Anybody on earth? Hey, you, are you worthy? No, you're, text you're looking on your phone. Heathen. Heathen. <laughs> Anybody under the earth, 
Are you worthy to open the scroll? Anybody? And no one was found anywhere in heaven, on earth, or under the earth who was worthy to open that scroll that stood there in the Father's hand just being wait, just waiting there, waiting for somebody to take it. No tug of war. He's just sitting here holding it, waiting for somebody to come take it. Nobody's worthy to take it. So John busts out in tears. Now you have to remember, John is not, was not, an American cowboy. He didn't just pull his hat down and go, <laughs> and take his bandana, nobody can see me. That's all good, I'm all strong, it's all good. No, he cried like a Jewish man cried at the time, at a funeral. He wailed. Some of my versions say he wailed. Other versions say he sobbed. Other versions say he wept. He wasn't quiet, okay? He had snot running out his nose, tears running down his face, and drool running down his beard. He wailed. There wasn't anybody who was worthy to share the load with God. And all of a sudden, one of the elders looked up and said, hey, hey, stop, he's here. And John looked up, and this is what he saw. No, actually, let's go back a little bit. He said, stop it, he's here, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Who are we talking about there? We're talking about Jesus, absolutely. Even the young ones know that one. The lion of the tribe of Judah. He's here. He won the battle. And so John looked up, drying his eyes, wiping off his beard, and he looks up, and you know what he sees. He sees a lamb standing upright, but the lamb looks like it's been killed for slaughter. I don't know about you, but that sounds really kind of horrible. If we were watching it on TV, we'd go, that's gross. But this lamb, even though it looked like it had been killed for slaughter, had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. There was no tug of war. There was no knockdown drag out. God had the scroll. Jesus came and took the scroll. That's all there was to it because he had prevailed. And what happens after that? All heaven starts to break out in worship. Worship. So if you're wondering, how do I worship? Let's look and see what does heaven do? The four living creatures and the elders fell down before the lamb and they sang a new song and they worshiped and they said, you're worthy to take the scroll to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth because he is worthy. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne 
So the living creatures, the elders, and the Lord are now being surrounded by this throng of angels, and they are worshiping. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and honor and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, in other words, us, worship the Lord. This is how they worship blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. How many of us hear the word I in that? Can I just point that out real quick? Because I don't know about you, but when I get into prayer, sometimes it's all about I. It's about me. It's about my family. It's about whoever I'm praying for that day. But as worshipers and followers of Christ, we remember that our first our very first joy is to worship the Lord himself. So when you come to prayer, and I have been doing this since Kenny said that a couple of months ago, it is the Lord has been very gracious. I have not yet had a prayer session where I worship the Lord first and did not feel his hand of presence on my shoulder. When you look at all those thousands, tens of thousands, ten thousands upon ten thousands, too many people to count, and you think, I'm not among all that. You will be. But the other thing to remember is that throng of creatures, of peoples, that, of nations and tribes that, fought, that surround God, that surround Jesus, that surround the throne? They're made up of one person at a time. You don't wait till you get into a great big, huge pile of people to start worshiping God. You worship God on your own, and then when you get into that great big pile of people worshiping God. Oh man, we only think church is fun. You know, we have no clue. So if you're worried and wondering, how do I add that? Well, I just gave you some examples. Here's another one. You go back to Revelation 7. Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom Thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. There's a song out like that. <laughs> We've heard it before. Where do you think they got it? Right here. Let's go to, let's see, where am I at? Revelations 11. We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come. Because when we come to worship the Lord, we want him to know that it's him we're worshiping. Okay? The one who is and who was and who is to come because you have taken your great power and reigned. It's reigned over me. It's reigned over you. 
his great power. Christ has on his thigh towards the end, chapter 19. He actually has a tattoo on his thigh. It says, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's his title, meaning he is the Lord. So we know who we're worshiping. He wears that into battle, and he comes back from battle victorious. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And he leads us into his presence. And you will find as you go along that it doesn't really matter about the individual questions that we have in life. What am I going to do for the rest of my life? How do I handle this husband? How do I handle that troubled kid? How do I handle this person at work that hates me enough to let me know? When you worship the Lord, you put all things in his hands. His presence actually strengthens you. And every once in a while, you're going to pop off with some kind of something out of your mouth, and you have no clue where it came from. One of the things that happened back when I was, I'll just give you one example. I've used it before. You may, you may have heard me say it before. But every once in a while, I would go on a call back when I was in EMS. And the person that we would be helping would either be in so much pain or in so much depression or in so much anger that they would just say, Jesus Christ, every time you turned around, you tried to touch him to take a blood pressure. Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, one day, I just popped out with, yes, yes, he is. That person never said another word to me. Because you know what? Sometimes you don't realize what you're saying, especially when you're hurt. But if somebody brings it up to you, oh, it's just a little one-liner. It's no big deal. It wasn't like I was picking a fight. But it's, it's like, oh, yeah, he is. So let him be Christ, and you be the follower, and you worship him. Every single time you go to prayer, you, if you have to, I mean, this is what I did the first, the first few times, and I still do. Open up the book. There's revelations. There's that prayer. Okay, God. And I start worshiping directly from the book. It's not complicated. Rachel said that a few weeks ago. It's not hard. It's not complicated. God is not simple. He's not complicated either. It's nothing that we can't figure out, that the presence of the Lord can actually be in you and you can actually feel his presence and become familiar enough to be able to go, oh, and start listening to what he wants to tell you. Father, I worship you. You are the God of all creation. In you is where I live. You, O oh Lord, are the Father of all life and all mercy. 
You, O oh God, are good. 